Back once again from the blue corner. My name is Dennis. Um, and what a week it's been. We went back to Fight Island. Um, and now I'm about to talk to someone about uh, potentially burning some boats. Um, there's a little <laughs> throwback for people that watched uh, the podcast a couple of weeks back. Um, but before you do, I've got to remind everyone to hit subscribe, like, share, comment, all that good stuff. Um, but let's get on with it. So today I am video calling all the way through to Vegas, um, fight capital of the world. Um, and I'm going to be talking to one of the most respected coaches from one of the most respected gyms in Vegas, which is Extreme Couture. I'm talking about none other than Eric Nixick himself. How have you been? How has 2020 been treating you? And what is going on? Man, it's good to see you, Dennis. Uh, I mean, 2020 for me has been a lot of fun, to be quite honest with you. I've been, uh, I've been super busy, and um, I think during this pandemic, we found opportunities to make it, make it the best. So, you know, I'm not complaining here. And so how has the pandemic been for you, though? Like, was there a moment of, I, I guess, panic at the beginning? Um, you know, because I, I assume, uh, you know, we, we were just talking off air a little bit, um, but we were talking about how we've kind of handled it a little differently, and I'm, I'm sure you guys, um, you know, have a little bit more freedom, so to speak, um, and that's just because you won't let your government tell you what to do. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like... Were there moments that you guys had to totally shut down? I mean, I know that they postponed like the NBA season and, and your baseball and stuff like that. But when it comes to like running the gym, um, yeah, what, was there a moment of kind of, I guess, panic or, or so forth? Uh, I wouldn't say much of a, a panic, but we did shut the gym down. Uh, we felt that we didn't want to be part of the problem. We wanted to try to be kind of the part of the solution. So we actually shut down before the government mandated it, before the governor actually shut it, shut the gyms down. So, um, but that was really it for us. As far as the members go, <coughs> we actually kept training myself and Francis Ngannou. Uh, we had a fight lined up, so we didn't know when we were going to be able to fight or what we were going to be able to do. So we just said, Hey, you know, is it okay if we still come in the gym and get our work in? And we did. So Francis and I kept training, uh, you know, along those lines, Danny Gay ended up getting a short notice fight with Edson Barboza. Um, we had Claudia Gadelia and Cody Stamen. So what we were doing was uh, essentially just picking um, our training partners and almost kind of turned into a boxing camp where we would come in at certain times, we would do our strength and conditioning, and then those guys would have their select sparring partners. They would spar with them. Um, we would be pretty informative in the, in the part of like, hey, look, we, we want to have you come in for sparring, but um, we, we're also going to need you to kind of self-isolate as well. And if you guys are going out and doing things where you're getting contaminated, obviously you can contaminate everybody else in the gym because we didn't know really what we were dealing with at the time other than the fact that we knew we had to train. So um, really for me, nothing changed a whole lot other than it just being more uh, tight quarters and the people that we had involved. And have you had anyone come down? Because this is the other debate that we have over here. I mean, our cases are a lot lower than what you guys have got. Um, you know, like we freak out. I mean, Melbourne went a little bit haywire. They were getting like 400 at one stage or 500 a day. Um, but generally speaking, we look at like 10 case, new cases a day kind of thing. We're, we're very low. But And I personally don't know anybody that's 
had, you know, COVID or been affected by COVID apart from maybe losing their job and, and so forth. But have do you know of anyone or has anyone in the gym um, actually come down with COVID? Has, has there been a case at all? Yeah, so there's actually been um, maybe three or four. And thankfully, they are able to, to catch the symptoms ahead of it. And it wasn't like a big outbreak, whereas I know some gyms, um, they had it. And, and then, uh, unfortunately, I think the entire gym somehow, some way, it, it just ran rampant. They all got infected. Uh, whereas is the ones that we did have get it, they were very cautious in the fact of knowing that, hey, if I came into the gym feeling a little bit of sickness, um, I could potentially give this to the rest of the guys and girls in the room. So, you know, they took that, it took care of us so that they ended up kind of stopping there. So thankfully it was only about, honestly, like three or four people that I know of out of the whole team that we have, which is pretty big. So, um, you know, by doing so, we were able to kind of nip it in the butt. And, and were they reporting back to you like, is it as bad as they make it out to be? Because I know, um, what's his name? Frank the Tank or no, is it the Crank? Sorry, Frank the Crank. He yeah. got he got yeah. it and uh, he did like a little journal um, on his Instagram and, uh, you know, he was riding the bike out on the balcony as he was quarantining. And it just, I mean, according to him, I guess, it wasn't more than, I guess, a flu. But then you, you see all these news people of people like on... on you know, life support pretty much and, and, and things like that. Like the guys that you know that got it, did they report back to you? Like how, how, how bad, I guess, how bad was it? Well, you know, so I, I, of course, like for me being uh, one of the main coaches there, I was checking in with those guys periodically just, you know, because we didn't know. We didn't know what we were dealing with, of course. And then so um, none of them really seemed to have too many issues. One, one coach in particular, he coaches at another gym, um, he tested with the UFC on Tuesday, mandatory COVID test, and then he was negative. And then he had a test again Friday before they went into the, the lockdown again. And that came back positive. And he had zero symptoms whatsoever, none. And then even when he was, when he was positive, he's like, man, like I had a little bit of a stuffy nose and a headache. So for the most part, the, the masses of people that I've, that I've known that had it, the majority of them, I should say, um, they reported back with very little symptoms at all. And I guess that's also because you guys live that healthy lifestyle, right? I mean, you're dealing with athletes, you I know, and, and, and they say a lot of the people that are dying are either older or people with medical conditions, right? So I, I guess that kind of I like uh, proves a little bit that, you know, you live that healthy lifestyle, you probably deal with things like this a lot better if you're not you know, let's say obese or have diabetes or have a pre-existing heart condition, right? So it's... Um, 100%. It's kind of crazy. But like, so you, you you obviously got to break this stint with Fight Island, um, but you went mm-hmm. the first time around. I think, who, who'd you go with? It was Dan Ige on, on Fight Island, wasn't it? Or Correct. Uh, Dan Ige and then Joseph Benavidez. And then I also cornered Jared Gordon while I was out there. Okay, so when when you initially went out there and it was all new to you, what what was the sensation like? And I only say that because, like, obviously when I see the little Instagram stories from various fighters and that initial check-in where everyone's in the hazmat mm-hmm. suits and, and mm-hmm. it kind of looks like a sci-fi flick, right? And then I, 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 yeah, I, that, I, I guess the hotel <laughs> itself kind of looks like the set of a sci-fi flick. So... I just wonder, like, what was that experience like? And, and, and did you have to pinch yourself for a minute and, like, get off and go, like, are we in the movie right now or what, what is going on? 
you you nailed it and that's the best analogy that i can give and that's exactly how i felt i seriously thought we were in a sci-fi movie uh especially when we landed and we get to the hotel and here's like all the whole staff is all in these like you know um paper garment things and it's completely covered up like they're in hazmat suits um and you're like holy crap like this is this is really going down uh and then the hotel definitely had like a sci-fi feel to it beautiful i mean five-star hotel but it was groundhog's day it was the same shit over and over you know kind of the same food i was there for two and a half weeks and uh you know multiple tests and it was it, you know you were there that was basically it you were there and you couldn't do anything other than kind of just stay in that hotel did they give you a chance because i saw some I, I don't know if it was the fighters but i i think some of the staffers uh or maybe the, even the ring girls or some got a chance to get out on the on the track and have a few hot laps and stuff like that did you get a chance for any of that or not really so you you could once we got out of the 48 hour mandatory um quarantine but uh i mean man you know me dennis like i'm there for business and i don't want to risk anything at all i don't want to get in a car and maybe hurt my neck or do something that i i could become a liability for for my fighter um look i i, I enjoy it like i would be nice to be on the jet skis and have fun but you know i'm a risk reward guy like what happens if uh, one of my guys gets hurt or something happens and i don't want to add anything to that equation so you know, I told Dan, hey, it looks fun and all. If you decide to stay a little bit longer, great, go for it. But, you know, we got a main event on our hands and we're here for business and not for pleasure. Now, obviously, um, Benavirus's, uh fight didn't go the way you had intended, I guess. Um, and, you know, he kind of came out of it um, talking about that he kind of realises that maybe that's his last chance at a belt. Um, just at where he is with his career but he never he never spoke about retiring or anything he just kind of said look i need to reevaluate but i'm probably not going to go for the belt mm. anymore and obviously um at that kind of time the the emotions run pretty high as well I, I would say have have you got an update on 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 joe like where where he's at like do you know where he's sort of headspace is at right now and and where where he's heading yeah, I mean, we, we almost talk every other day. Um, he's in the gym, he's training, and he's, um, I think for Joe, um, and you kind of nail it too, Dennis, it's like you, you, you get in this sport and you want you want to strive to be the champion. You're not really getting in it, into it for anything else. And, it, and some guys understand that. They get in the sport to win a few fights and make a few bucks and get out. Um, but obviously for Joe, he's at the top of his game. And knowing that this, the, the titles escaped him, um, I feel like, He's just kind of searching for finding the right motivation again, and that's okay, you know. And, and that's some of the things that we've talked about, and just just taking your time and and and, and relighting that fire again, and, and finding why you want to do this and what it's for. Because at the at the end of the day, with this sport, like you don't want to you don't want to keep pushing something that's really not there. Because man, you can get seriously hurt, right? And and that's the thing where I, I see guys uh, hanging on to hanging on to careers that really um you know there's really nothing to accomplish anymore. So. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that Joe still wants to continue to fight because I still think he's very talented and has a lot to offer. And as the last thing we kind of left it at um, a few weeks ago, we spoke about, I was like, hey, look, one step at a time, man. And, and, and once you find a fight that you like to take and, and during a time that you feel comfortable doing it, it's all hands on deck and we'll be ready to go again. Yeah, I mean, I did see one of your other interviews. I'm not sure who it was with, I think MMA Junkie or something. And, and, they, and you spoke about it a little there as well. And you said, you know, um, something about that he he doesn't want to be remembered as 
the nice guy and and this and that and that he really and and you know that really resonated with me like it it it, it mm-hmm. it's one of those things you know where i i think Cerrone's the same you know like he he is going and going and he he wants to just be able to take that cap off his career and say i was able to achieve um you know the highest of highs and and it, and it's tough but i i totally agree with what you say there as well it, uh, and and the thing for me is i hate seeing fighters go past their prime and 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 i'm not saying that with joe but i'm saying like a lot uh, i'm saying mm-hmm. like with with a lot of other fighters you just you know um and even the ones that come out of retirement you know a, a classic one for me was the tito uh chuck one i was like you know we really didn't need to see that fight like it it, it kind of Not hurt and and sometimes i feel like you know, you're better off leaving on a high, even if you don't have that belt, then totally drive your name into the ground as well, right? Because there are some legends right. and, and you have, I think, look, don't get me wrong, I think Anderson Silva, right? Like when, when, you, when you talk a couple of years ago, he was the GOAT, you know, and now it's kind of like he's that, I don't know, the, the kind of like the gatekeeper that they, I mean, he, right. he has fights, he has entertaining fights, but that, that realm of the GOAT conversation is with every fight is sl- slowly starting to disappear. And mind you, you have people like John Jones and, and, and now Izzy that have come up that are definitely... But I just, I, I, just, I don't know. I, I, I think that's where like George St. Pierre did it really, really well, where he, mm-hmm. you know, he, he achieved what he needed to ch- achieve and leave. And look, and I think Khabib is, is aiming to do the same thing, right? Where he said... He only wants to fight another two, three times, and then just go out on top. Be done. But you're you're mm-hmm. you're probably going to finish that run, right? Are you? Uh, have you got anything yeah. to do with the uh, the Justin camp? No, nothing. Nothing with the Justin camp or any of those guys. Um, they both have been very great uh, to the gym. Obviously, they're both Ali Ali disease guys, so um, they've both been in the gym and, and have helped us a lot. So I think for us, we're just going to sit back on the sidelines and watch a really good fight. And. I will just ask because I, I always get people to do fight picks at the end of this. But um, since since we're on that topic, um, when that fight goes down, how do you see that one play out? Man, it's 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 so tough to go against a guy like Khabib. It really is, and um, both of them are super talented. I feel like uh, I feel like Trevor Whitman's going to come up with a really good game plan. Uh, I feel like Justin does have a very good skill set that can that can negate some of the wrestling aspects in the game. But I feel like uh, as the fight grows longer, I feel like Khabib's probably going to be able to find find a way to to pull it out. I think uh, I think Khabib by TKO. Crazy, crazy. See, that's the one that I, I I'm the same. I think Khabib's like unbeatable on one on one hand, but on the other hand, I just think if mm-hmm. someone's going to cause that upset, I think Gaethje's the perfect guy to do it. Right, and for sure, it's and, hard, man. It's hard to pick against that guy. Right, and only because. We know he's got the power and he, he you know, he right. used to throw all that caution into the wind. Um, mm-hmm. In the last fight against Tony, it was a different Justin altogether. Like he, he was just really strategic and that's kind of scary now that he's kind of like picking his shots. Um, and then he's got a wrestling background. So I just kind of feel like, I, 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 once again, I think that Khabib's probably better in the wrestling, but I think that, Justin could maybe have enough to kind of negate some of that, right? So it's, I agree. It's uh, it's going to be a good fight. It's it's really going to be little, a good fight. Coin flip. 
I'm, I'm excited for it, um, you know, and, and you, you're absolutely right in the fact where you watched a different fighter in Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. He wasn't throwing caution in the wind. He was very strategic in a lot of things that he did. And you're right, there, there is some, probably some, some ways I can see him capitalizing on, on that and, 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 dude, possibly pulling this out. You know, I would not be surprised if Justin Gaethje walked away the champ. But if you're asking, I'm just going to go where the, the easier path is just say Khabib. <laughs> so anyway, let's, let's, let's bring it to this weekend that's just passed. Obviously, um, you know, we had a bit of a fun fight card once again, Fight Island. Obviously, you didn't get the holiday this time, but uh, I'm sure you watched some of the fights because um, I've definitely seen you break down the uh, Costa-Izzy fight uh, a couple of days before um with francis mm-hmm. um yeah uh, so i guess francis was costa because they're both big and strong and <laughs> <laughs> you took the role of izzy yeah. but um did it go down the way i mean I, I i obviously saw that you you gave um your opinion on how, how both fighters could potentially win that uh fight um but now mm-hmm. looking at the outcome is that kind of how you saw it kind of coming about absolutely i yeah i thought i thought izzy was just going to use his range really well um you know and and that's exactly what he did i i I felt like the leg kicks were going to have some sort of play but it's it's a lot of ways to like uh coming from a football background is is when you hit a play and the play keeps working you kind of keep going back to that play knowing that you can get seven eight yards a clip on that play and that tends to happen with the calf kick so when you start hitting that calf and you're seeing no answer and no answer again, you're going to get back to that calf over and over and over. And that's gonna set up everything else. Now, when you really look at the genius level of it, every time that you know um, Adesanya would get off to that lead hand side, he was able to chop it. Every time he was able to rear hand parry across, he was able to chop it. And where it was especially nice was because Costa would be very front foot heavy and throwing that cross and falling over. And he would parry and slip outside, bam, smash that calf. So. Uh, I, I felt like that was just a great beginning of the end to, to where uh, the fight was going to go. Um, and, you know, I don't think Costa really ever got out of the gates on that guy, man. He just can never really find his range. Well, that was going to be my, very well. That, that, that was going to be my next question because, like, leading into the fight, the whole narrative of, of that fight was that Costa was going to bring the fight. Like, you know, and, and there was even mm-hmm. that funny moment in the middle where, you know, Izzy even said, yo, Right, like basically saying, I thought you were going to bring bring the action. What's going on? And and right. and you know, like granted, he threw a couple of leg kicks himself and stuff. But I, especially the first round, I, I don't even know if he he really threw any shots off. And it was kind of weird that you know, and 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 there was two forms, and that was that he wasn't, I guess, getting any decent looks, and and he was worried about the counters, or he was trying to save himself for the later rounds because everyone was talking about his gas tank um but then right. as Izzy said in the post presser he's like that's ridiculous like why why would you allow me to get ahead out of the gates you know like it it, it just uh, for a game plan it just doesn't really make too much sense so what what do you think it was do you do you think that maybe he was gun shy because Izzy had gotten into his head or or, or do you feel like he was saving himself could have been, but uh, I feel like he was getting a little gun shy. He was at the end of the range on everything, getting hit with everything. And, um, you know, Costa has a kind of a bully fighter to him. You know, he wants to be intimidating. He wants to get right in front of you. He wants to get right in front of your face. And once he realized that that really wasn't working on Izzy, 
I feel like he knew he was in some deep shit. You know, I've, I've had a corner against both of those guys. And um, I'll tell you what, man, one of the, that was one of the most helpless feelings I was in when we were fought him with Brad. You know, there was there was nothing we can do for Brad to like get rhythm going and find where we needed to be with Izzy other than one takedown and Israel was able to scramble up. So we, you know, and then in the Uriah fight, when Uriah fought Costa, you know, I felt like the, the ref took us out of the fight more than Costa was, you know, I think it was two illegal blows and an eye poke all in the first round. And that kind of took Uriah out of the fight rather than, than Costa. And Costa did a good job backing him up and, that was uh, really part of our game plan was to never be on that cage. It was never be on that cage, and I think that that's where he found us. So um, knowing having having a game plan against both um, and seeing both in the cage, I felt I felt Israel just had the much better skill set, and you know that's that's kind of what happened in the fight. And I guess the scary thing with Izzy is I, I feel anyway that even now I find he's getting better. He's still getting better, like you know and. Uh, Early on, people were talking exactly about the wrestling, you know, like Marvin had some kind of like success with it. And then obviously when you guys, he, he negated that as well. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, Kelvin had some some success in that hall, you know, blitzing him. Robert tried that. We saw what happened with Robert, you know, like it, it seems like, you know, every time someone finds a little bit of a gap with him, he fixes that quite quickly uh, before the next and and as he would say he's 10 steps ahead of the game like so when you're like yep we found something he's like yeah so have i and i'm gonna fix that by the time i meet you right like and he's very good at that correct um which i guess is credit to his team as well and uh i mean i I found it funny for this one i mean it it was a kicks um kickbox city uh i mean city kickboxing sort of card this time around um I found it funny that they actually camped down for for their camp and locked themselves in the gym. Have you ever thought about doing that? Like um, basically camp out in the gym with, with with a bit of a fight team? Create your no, own create no. <laughs> create create your own bubble. Uh, I mean, if, if it boiled down to it, I, I would I would do whatever, whatever I had to for my team. You know, that's that's for sure. Um, but fortunately, yeah, we didn't have to do that, and I was able to be able to keep my wife and kids around, you know? So I, I think, uh, I think if it led up to something that, that extreme, I know that they would, uh, they would support me, but if we had to do something like that, especially for like Francis and Dan, like, you know, people in my family, Brad, they would, they would be, they would support that. Now, just, uh, another fight that I wanted to bring up and it's only because Izzy brought it up as well was, um, the first one, which was Shane Young. Obviously he, he got knocked mm-hmm. out pretty quickly. Um, and mm-hmm. the whole debate is about the um, the missing weight. Um, mm-hmm. How and now uh, Izzy's come out and said we should be taxing these guys um, eighty to ninety percent, not thirty percent. Um, how how do you feel about the the whole missing weight issue? And and, and I only ask because it's not often that fighters will say I'm not taking the fight, like. Generally speaking, mm-hmm. they'll take the thirty percent, and the fight will continue. Um, mm-hmm. But when you look at the statistics of, you know, who generally wins that fight, you know, eight nine times out of ten, it's the guy that missed weight that actually ends up, you know, winning that fight. So it's 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 kind of like a, a tricky situation, right? Um, what do you feel like should be done in in that regards, or how do you feel about, I guess, fighters first missing weight? 
because we know sometimes there's there's circumstances out of your control. Like for instance, this one, they're they're even saying, well, he only had seven days um, mm-hmm. to kind of to to kind of make the weight. But on on the flip side of that is, well, you knew how much you had to lose, so still Don't seven, the fight. seven days or not, you shouldn't have accepted the fight. So, um, and and I guess my only question on that is because I always say weight classes are created for safety reasons not for not mm-hmm. for financial reasons if that makes sense right mm-hmm. so my kind of take on it is taking 30 percent, which is a financial gain doesn't mean that that fight is any safer because you're fighting a bigger guy right that's the way i kind of feel about it is is like right. we're, we're we've created weight classes to make it fair and make it safe but then we're once again putting that aside for for the financial gain and and you know, like when people ask me what what I think, I, I don't even think eighty ninety percent is enough. I I personally think that if someone misses weight, that fight should be scrapped. That's just mm-hmm. that, that's just. And then obviously you go, okay, what about the money? Um, I would say mm-hmm. the the fighter that made weight should still get his show purse, mm-hmm. not his win purse. He gets his show, and potentially gets the show purse of his opponent who didn't make weight. And then the the mm-hmm. opponent gets nothing. You didn't make weight. You didn't you didn't fulfill your contract, right? I, I just feel like and right. I and I get it as well, like promotions are gonna go, but we lose a fight. So I, mm-hmm. I, I get that too. But like I also say, well, you know, I mean, I think it happened, uh, I know she's moved on, but with em, uh, Emily last time she had some health mm-hmm. issues and they scrap a fight. So they it's not like they can't scrap fights. Um I just feel like you know as as Izzy said like making it 80 90 percent people will be more inclined to make weight i feel the same thing i feel that scrapping a fight they're more inclined to make weight as well because otherwise there's no fight um but i just feel like it should still be about the safety rather than the financial gain if that makes sense what 100 and i think everybody's right everybody has has great points and um I feel like when you boil it down to the nitty gritty, if you're if you're putting a, a, a fighter at, at risk, you know. So I was there when Uriah passed out um, and he had to go to the hospital. He had kidney failure. You know, he did everything and he made the weight. He was on weight. We were just going down to the, get on the scale, and that's when he had the episode. Um, and he could have died. He could have lost his life in that in that regard. Now, have I have I seen other fighters who easily could have utilized all of their time to continue to cut the weight? Absolutely, and then they don't do it. That's another problem, right? Like you're just basically giving up, knowing, hey, I, I don't, I'm not going to put my body through this risk. Make me cut these extra pounds and put the extra stress on my body, and I'm just going to pay this fine. Again, that you know, I, I I see that too with Izzy. It's like, hey, find these guys more money. Um, so there, there's really no right answer to me in all of this scenario. The real, the true right answer, I think, is to get more weight classes and give guys opportunity to cut weight safer um, so you don't have this many problems. And I think if you miss weight once, you're, you're, you're told to move up. You don't have a choice. Your next fight is you got to move up. And until you can safely make that weight correctly – then you're fighting in a weight class above and you're not going to be able to have the opportunity to miss weight twice or do something that, that continues to be a problem. See, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, I, I, I think 
you know, getting rid of weight cuts altogether. And I, I know 1FC and stuff have tried stuff with like, you know, um, really taking weight cuts out of it. But because I find it weird that, you know, you'll have all these people cut weight to be in this division where if you took weight cuts out of it, you'd be fighting the same people just in a different division, right? Because everyone, everyone's exactly. actually doing it, right? So it's kind of like, well, why don't we all agree not to cut weight and we can still have the same right. fights, but just in different divisions, right? And th- think about what it took for 1FC to make that decision, right? Uh, somebody had to die. Somebody died. And then they said, hey, we got to look at this differently. And now I feel like you know, maybe they do have a better protocol to the way they cut weight. Um, you know, but the, the, this is still, it's going to be a problem as, as long as the weight classes are where they're at. And you can make an argument. You can make guys at 165 and guys from 195 are still going to try to cut down to make that weight too. Um, it's going to be part of the sport. It's always going to be a problem. I think higher penalties. Yeah, that could be something that would negate some of that, those issues. But, you know, then again, like you said, what happens when the guy's five pounds heavy? Now he's got a five pound advantage. He's bigger in the fight. So all those variables are going to come into play. Um, it's going to be the same thing with the judging, everything that goes on. You know, you're really going to have to, to hunker down on something and, and, and make it right to where people feel like they're not getting screwed, you know. And with the judging, or not so much the judging, I'll, I'll take it, f- we've done judging before, I'll do the refs now. Um, we had another moment this weekend, we had one last weekend, um, judges, I mean, uh, refs getting calls wrong, right? DC missed, mm. the, eye, missed the eye poke. Um, this weekend we had, I think it was in the Riddell fight, um, where it was a clean shot. And the refs mm-hmm. saw it as a, a, yeah. as, a as an eye poke. Um, last week it was Jesse Jess, and um, the knee was it illegal? Was it was it legal? Um, Ed Herman was another one two weeks back, right? Like um, it seems mm-hmm. to be happening quite a bit right now. Um, mm-hmm. how, how, I mean, look, I, I'm always under the understanding that we're human. We all make mistakes. I'm happy with that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess where I see a bit of a problem is. Um, we'll we'll go this weekend, um, the the knuckle. So he thought he got poked in the eye. Um, The ref then called it a poke in the eye. The instant replay straight away showed that it wasn't. Um, But yet they still brought in the doctor and everything like that. And my kind of take on that is, look, we all make mistakes. I'm happy for him to to stop the, the, the action. And, and consider it mm. an eye poke. But as soon as it comes up on screen and you can go, oh, I made a mistake, I kind of feel like, well, you've got to call the action straight back in. You can't go, okay, well, you know, we'll still give him a minute, to maybe not the five minutes, but we'll give him a minute, two minutes while the doctor's checking him out to potentially recover. Um, I mean, the Ed Herman one was a classic example, right, where he got the five minutes pretty much to, to recover um, claiming it was a nut shot and, and, and it was a total legal blow. And he ended mm. up then turning it around and, 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 you know, taking the win. And you kind of go, well, technically, you know, and as I say, like I'm happy for the refs to make the mistakes. What I'm not happy about right. is, is, is the continuation of like, well, we've, we've now paused it for an illegal blow. We've seen it's not an illegal blow, but we'll continue like it was an illegal blow, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so I think each instance has to take its own consideration. And for me, the one that stands out was obviously yesterday. The referee made a decision on 
the guy's action. He he called time out. Like he basically he never saw it. He 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 you know he had plain sight, but the ref decided to make a stop because of the guy saying I got poked in the eye. You can't do and, that. And I don't. You but wait, wait. I, I, I don't even blame the guy because sometimes you don't know what uh, you got yeah. hit by. So I'm not even angry at the guy. Correct. Like you know, like whether yes. he thought it was an eye poke or not, that's totally legitimate too. So I'm not even Correct. angry at him. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not angry at anything leading up to what had happened. So even if you bought the bait. I'm happy for you to make that call, but then I mean, because you could hear you could hear uh, Riddell's corner going, "Look at the video! Look at the video!" Right? Absolutely. And, and once and, you and see that, yeah, once you see that, I just kind of go, "Well, can't we just, you know, or look at the video before you call the doctor in first and foremost? Because right, once the doctor's right. in, he's in. But like, quickly take ten seconds, look at the look at the screen, and if you still feel it's illegal, then call the doctor in. But you know. My, and my, my point is, is that the ref had had clean line of sight, saw the whole thing, never made the decision to stop the fight until the guy goes, oh, oh, I got poked in the eye. You're allowing the fighter to dictate your response, not your own eyes. So he had no problem watching the fight and carrying on had the guy never made that action. you know. So he clearly didn't see that it was a poke in the eye. He just took the guy's, oh, I got poked in the eye. You can't do that, you know? So, um, yeah, these guys are human. They're going to make these mistakes. It's bound to happen. It's part of the sport. It happens. It happened to us. It's happened many a times. Um, and, you know, it's it's the sport we all love. It's just like having the umpires. They're going to have a strike zone. And sometimes it's a ball. Sometimes it's a strike. And, and you know, it's a, it's subjective. And that's, that's the way we have to deal with it. But the more we can get these guys um, more education, I think, is the best more time in the cage. Um, I, I have referees that come into the gym and they volunteer their time to ref uh, sparring matches and to watch grappling rounds. I appreciate that, you know, and I love seeing that. I've had judges come in and watch our sparring rounds and and then they would get done and they would ask or they would critique. And um, I think that's important to give these men and women a platform to be able to do that now, it only makes our sport better. So any time a referee hits me up and says, hey, can I come in and, and ref sparring today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because some of these fuckers need it, you know? Yeah, it's 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 crazy. What I found funny though with the Riddell one, like to try to save face, did you see when the action resumed, the ref actually told Riddell to watch his hands, watch his fingers. Did you did you notice that? So like they re- restarted after all of that and then he still gives Riddell yeah. the warning and it's like, bro. The warning. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? Obviously, you know? Yeah, crazy. But even, even with that, you know, as I said, like even when you look at the highest of high of the refs, Herb Dean and stuff, like, you know, even he makes errors. And, that, and that's what I'm saying. I'm okay with that. Like I really – I. You know, I'm okay with people making errors because, as I say, we are human. And, and, and I think it mm-hmm. – and in all sports, you know, like we get it over here with the football and stuff where a call doesn't go your way and people are straight away, you know, wear your glasses, ref, and, and, and things like that. And I think it adds to the emotion and everything. So I'm okay with that. I just – as I said, what irritates me is when you can clearly see the replay afterwards and, and once again, like I, I would just be like, okay, well, we can see that was legal. Let's keep going. You can't go. Okay, it's a TKO, right? Like yeah. straight there and then. Yeah. Um, 
And if you can go, we're restarting now. We're not going to give you the one, two, three, four, five minutes, right? That's that's probably the only issue I have with that. And uh, unfortunately for the, these referees, the only time we ever talk about these poor guys and, and men and women is when they make a, ba- a big mistake, right? And there, and I see some super talented refs that um, I'm more than happy that when I see them come in the locker room and say, hey, I have your fight tonight. You know, and then they don't make – they don't um, – interrupt the fight they don't interject themselves into the fight or some refs i feel like they're they feel like they want to be just as important as the fighters at times you know like oh this guy's got an ego so he's got to he's going to talk a little more he's going to say a little bit more he's going to interject himself in the fight a little bit more whereas like guy like keith peterson man that dude doesn't say a word and i don't care if he smells like cigarettes or booze or this this or that i know the dude's a great a great referee and i'm always excited to have the guy you know, when he when he's coming in our locker room, he's great. Well, yeah, I agree. The cigarettes, I mean, look, we're all trying to live health healthy lifestyles, so maybe not, not the best choices for him to make. But, like, the cigarettes is fine. The alcohol, maybe not so, but, like, I, I thought the cigarettes was a bit weird. But even that, like, I mean, look, that was debatable. Um, obviously, you're talking about the Dominic Cruz fight. Um, right. And, 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 I, the, and you're right. We only, same with the judges, we only give them grief. We never praise them right. when they've done something right, right? And that's also why it was important for me early on with this podcast. I, I already got a couple of uh, uh, our our judges in that. Obviously, they do the national circuit and they also uh, judge for uh, a ref for the UFC. Um, because mm. I, I do want to give them a voice too because I do feel like that they, um, yeah, they cop a lot of flack when things go wrong. Um you know, right. and 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 they never really get any sort of appreciation when they've done a a, a, a job well. Um, but like for instance, that that um, Dominic Cruz fight. Me personally, I was like, should have let it go, right? Um, and 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 the reason I say that was because it was two seconds from the end, and I just feel like, mm. you know, being so close to the to the to the end of the round, I just feel like. You know, you could let it go for two seconds, see what he comes out like in round two and, and so forth. Have uh, a, yeah. You know, where when I spoke to both uh, John Sharp and, and Jimmy, who are the, the refs over here, they both said, look, we don't keep an eye on the time, right? And I'm like, yeah, but you would have heard the 10-second clap and they're, they're, they're under the impression that they make judgment calls as they see it, not if it's at the start of the round, end of the round. And I get that. My, my whole thing is like two seconds. Come on, two seconds. Give us an mm-hmm. extra two seconds. So mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that fight. But once again, everyone's got a different opinion, you know, like, and, and I think, you know, they've got the right to make those calls. We put them in that position to make those calls. And, and I'm okay with that. As I said, I'm just not okay when we blatantly see that it's the wrong call. And then, you know, you, you allow things to, to continue. Ed Herman was a classic yeah. example, right? Like, it's just like... Exactly. So, um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, going back with you, uh, Francis Ngannou, what, what, is, what is happening with him now? Because obviously he was promised now the Stipe fight. Um, but now John Jones is obviously trying to make a lot of noise, um, trying to snatch that fight. You know, and, and, and he makes some valid cases in to some degree. Um, you know, it is mm-hmm. the super fight that they were wanting to make happen and, and things like that. And if Nanganu knocks Stipe off, then 
you, you kind of squash that fight. I mean, not that Nganu, uh John Jones wouldn't be a good fight. That'd be a good fight too. But he's mm-hmm. obviously making some valid cases as well. But what what's going on at the moment? Like, obviously he was promised that fight. Did he uh, have any contracts been signed? Like, is that fight happening or is it up in the air now? Or w- w- what's going on? So from what we were told by um, everybody within the UFC that, you know, we're the, we're the next in line, we're just, just waiting on a, on a date and time. Um, now, they, I know they're meeting with the UFC uh, tomorrow and just to, just to kind of go over some stuff. And I think it was just more of an informal dinner. But, um, yeah, all signs point to it being Francis for the next uh, next shot at Stipe, Stipe Miocic. And, um, but we don't know when, so that that would be the kind of the holdup. We we're, were hoping maybe December, but it's all going to be predicated on Stepe and on, on and his timeline. And I guess what gives you guys a little more weight now is after what happened yesterday. You know, John Jones is starting to make these little comments. Should I go back to uh, light heavyweight and reclaim my belt? Which I would actually prefer that on on two counts because obviously that would um, allow the Francis Stepe fight to go ahead. Um, Mm -hmm. but if he was to go back down to light heavyweight, I think then they could make the easy John Jones because that that was probably the one that I was more disappointed about potentially falling through now because John Jones moving up to to heavyweight, you know, Izzy's not going to go to heavyweight. He'll go up to light heavyweight. Right. So you kind of feel like you missed the moat there. So I kind of wish that John Jones would actually drop back down. It allows Francis yeah. to to get a crack at Stipe again, but it also allows the super fight between, which potentially I think that's a bigger super fight, Izzy and 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 Jones over Jones and Stipe, right? So I just feel like mm-hmm. that would actually make more sense. I think they all make good sense, and uh, you know you could put you can make an argument for all those scenarios, uh, but you know as far as I'm concerned, I think you can't look at. Francis's heavyweight resume and not allow him to have a title shot. You know, we've, we've won four in a row all by knockout all within, um, I think two minutes, 40 seconds combined in four fights. Um, now in my mind, John Jones is the goat. Uh, can he call his shot? Sure. But I don't think he's, he gets the right to, to leapfrog into a new division and immediately take a title shot. I think there's a lot of heavyweights in that division right now, um, that are, that are good matchups for him. I think uh, Alistair Overeem comes to mind. That'd be a great fight, John Jones and Alistair. Uh, even Jarzinho coming off a couple wins. So, um, you know, I think uh, I think John is, if, if he decides to stay at heavyweight, he's going to be competitive at anything he does. Uh, I think if he bumps back down, I, th- I would like to see the Jan and, and, and John Jones fight. That's fresh. It's new. Uh, and then Blahovitz has been making a lot of good noise, man. He's doing a lot of great things. Uh, you know, obviously winning the title last night was huge. But I think it, what you've seen out of him in his last four fights, you know, the guy's on to something there. Um, and, of course, Israel, if he decides to move up and fight John Jones, that, that, is a, that is a huge super fight in the making. I feel like that's going to happen because they're both still, you know, John Jones is still relatively young and they have this, like, they have a rivalry, you know, and I think, I think it makes a lot of sense for those guys to eventually fight. And especially because, uh, as I said earlier, they're both now in that conversation of GOAT. Right, so you've got two goats, right. and that's never really happened because you never had silver and GSP or whatever. Like now, you've got this right. collision course of two potential goats, and I guess it, it, it's a way of going. Okay, well, let's figure out who the greatest really is, right? And I think that's uh, yeah, that's a massive one, like a real, real big one. Um, but I guess going more to you now, like uh, as mentioned uh, in the intro, you know, you're you're 
in one of the most respected gyms in the world in in I guess um, you know Fight Central um, you know and you have a lot of these athletes come to Extreme Couture um, you know how 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 what are some of the problems that you face with that because obviously over here you know Robert's got his camp um, you know I mean City Kickboxing granted they've now got a few that are in the works but like generally speaking over here you know we we have this one mainstay and then you kind of have a camp around that person right but theoretically mm-hmm. a lot of that time whether it be from the coaches from the sparring partners is all about that one uh person where i mean a problem that you have i guess um is that you have many in your stable of fighters right um mm-hmm. which is a good thing in the sense of having sparring partners because i always say like you know iron sh- sharpens iron so like it's it's good to have that talent all under the same roof but when it comes to having fight camps and preparing your fighters how hard is it to kind of i guess divide your time because you're not having to just focus on one potential fighter you might have like three or four in the works at the same time um yeah what kind of problems do you face with that and how do you deal with those problems? um i think you just you have to be true to yourself in the fact of you don't you you only have so much time and i think why what makes me a successful coach personally is is my hands-on time that i spend with my fighters that kind of sweat equity you know and and i'm not able to do that if i decide to take a a, a large amount of fighters so the the nice thing for us at extreme couture is we have so many so many great coaches in the gym and we're able to help one another but at the same time the fighters feel like they're getting that one-on-one with their coach um, so for me personally, like, I feel like having seven to 10 fighters, um, underneath you is, 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 is about, about the sweet spot, you know? And because you know, understand that like, not everybody's going to be fighting at the same time. So you're able to kind of schedule, okay, well, I know Dan Ige is not going to fight for another couple months. Now I have these fighters that are going to kind of turn over and they're going to fight. So you're, you're always staying busy. Um, but at the same time, you're not necessarily overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've told fighters, Hey, look, I don't know if I have enough time to coach you in the regards of not, I don't feel like, um, you're not good enough or anything like that. I don't want to not give you a hundred percent. And if I take you on, then I feel like I'm going to be cheating you out what, out of what you deserve. So, um, you know, and that's been hard because in like 2018, when we went on that PFL run with Lance Palmer and Vinny, um, had Dan Ige and I, man, I felt like I was gone literally maybe every weekend and uh the travel was hard um and at what cost you know you're, you're not you're not home with your family and you lose that time so i had to be very selective um and make sure that i'm coaching the people that i feel like they're motivating me so being true and honest to myself i felt like was 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 very important in knowing the guys that uh, men and women that i wanted to work with the most and how how does the process all work is it that the fighters come to you or do you choose the fight because as you say you've got multiple coaches um um under the the xc uh banner so say you've got three fighters fighting on UFC and then you obviously have Ty or whatever and he's fighting for Bellator and so you're not even like there's no chance of you even like fighting everyone um how Mm -hmm. how does that all how does that all work like do you go okay we've got six fighters and then you allocate the coaches or do the fighters choose who they want in their corner or like who makes those decisions 
It's usually on the fighter. Um, they're the ones that, that hire their staff uh, through the gym. If you're training at our gym, um, we have a lot of guys that kind of come in and cross train and they might not use anybody in our gym. Not, and they might have their coaches from home or they might have uh, somebody from another gym that they feel more comfortable with. And I, have, I really have no problem with that as long as, as, long as they're, they're getting the attention that they feel that they need. Um, now, for me, I, I try to make sure that I'm very um, open and, and, and communicate well with my fighters to where they know where I'm at and what I have going on. So, for example, um, Ty came to me just recently and said, hey, I was offered another fight. It was this day. Uh, I'll, I'll try to make sure that I'm, I'm booked for that, for that weekend or I'm available for that weekend. And I communicate that with the rest of my fighters. So um, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, coach, can, can you corner me that same weekend? You know, Ty already came to me first, said, hey, look, can, can I have you for this weekend? Um, and then, again, like you don't want to put money involved, um, but you want to make sure that it's, it's financially correct for you and your family as well as it is for the fighters. So um, if I'm already booked, I'm booked, and, I, and that's kind of how, how I stick with it. So is it a first-come, 1st first surf basis? Is that... Or have you ever like taken I, one and then another one's coming and you've gone, well, you know, whether it be um, say a title fight or something, you've gone, look, I have to now take this even though I've, I've said, have you ha ever had moments like that before? Um, fortunately, nothing to that regard. I've had a couple where, um, you know, I had a prior engagement with a, doing a military tour and then a fighter came to me and said, hey, can I take you for that weekend? And, you know, I, I just don't feel right breaking that that commitment, especially with somebody or or, or something like the military, of course. But um, you know, I, I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen many a times where where a coach uh, was put in a scenario where you know they got a short notice and it be it was it, the pay was more. And I understand that. Like I, I've been in the sport long enough that I get like, you know, you have to be choosy. You have to make the money while you can make the money. Um, sometimes some of the fighters don't pay you what you deserve. So you, you feel like, you know, if, if Joe Benavidez called me up and said, Hey, I need you to come with me tomorrow for this. I'll drop everything for that dude. We're going just because not only Joe takes very good care of his people, but just the type of person that he is. So, um, you know, thankfully I'm, I haven't been throwing that scenario enough that I try to communicate my schedule as best as I can. And I've had guys not take fights cause they knew I wasn't available. Yeah. Right. And, um, in regards to obviously you, making your money and this is where obviously a conversation i had with ty two three weeks ago comes into play he was saying because i i spoke to him about coaches throwing in the towel um another thing that i kind of feel like we overlook a lot and i've brought it up multiple times and i don't really um want to drag the chain on this one but uh you know for for me i once again, I had a ref here and he said in 15 years of him refing fights, it's only happened once then the towel gets thrown in. And, and you know, it's the same for me. I, I really don't see it happen too often. And Ty was the first one to say that, you know, sometimes it can also be because, um, once again, the way the pay structure is. I mean, you've got your, your, your show and your win bonus and because coaches get a percentage of that, um, obviously it makes sense for them to continue the fight hoping to get the win bonus as well because you're not getting like, okay, I'll pay you X dollars for this fight. It's a percentage of whatever the total is at the end. Um, on that same token though, he's the first person to say to me he would be totally okay with you, um, you know, throwing in the towel because he respects you enough for that where I found it weird when the, uh, the one that I always point to is the Anthony Smith fight where 
he was picking up teeth from the mm-hmm. ground and, 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 you know, they kept going. Then afterwards he said, well, if my coaches threw in the towel, they know they're no longer my coaches and things like that. But do you feel like that that kind of pay structure, pay system does um, play at, 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 say, corners decisions, whether they want to throw in the towel or not? It could, um, but it has never affected me. And I'll give you a great example. Uh, I called Vinny Magalesh's fight, and it was for a million dollars, man, and I threw in the towel. There was a million dollars on the line in the PFL fight. Um, I saw no clear path to victory. Uh, he's one of my best friends. I know his wife. I know his kids, and I wanted to see my good buddy fight another day. Had he fired me after that, I would have been totally fine with it because I knew I would have made the right decision that I was looking out for my fighter more than anything else and that's what i got in this sport for was to be a part of something dynamic of course i want to want i want to win titles that was for a title and there was a lot of money on that line for that title but it's more important for me to get my fighter home safely rather than um than put them out there where i didn't see a clear path to victory so you know i've been there and i've done it it stung uh but i was i was i feel like it made me a better coach for doing it Man, and, and I totally respect that because that, that's been my point in case all along is like at what point do you just say duty of care, right? And and I would rather see a fighter fight another day than cop an absolute whooping and never come back the same way again, right? So, yeah, I, I, I can't respect that. Was that was that the uh, fight against um, McCorkle? Was it against McCorkle? No. Uh, Sean O'Connell. Oh, O'Connell, Yeah. Crazy. So you, you actually threw in the towel on that one. Yeah. You know, I, I got in the corner and uh, I got him on the stool in the corner. And for me, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to take that minute. I already had it in my head that we were going to stop the fight, but I wanted to take that minute to um, explain that to him. Right. Uh, I just said, Hey, I, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of feedback from him and see where his head was at. But, but I, I used that minute to say like, Hey, this is this one's on me, right? This one's on me. I feel like I, I, here's what I want to do. I want to stop the fight. And um, he didn't really have any objections to that. Had he been like, no, yeah, stop it. This is, you know, maybe, maybe I would have changed my mind to an extent. But I, I wanted to put that out there first and let him know that I don't want you to take the blame for this. You know, I don't want you to feel like I don't want to put you in a scenario where you feel like you had to quit or anything like that, and you take any of that backlash. Let's put that on me. And that's, this, this is my job to do that. And, um, you know, and, and I, I feel like I know him and I know some of the injuries that we had during that camp and I know what was bothering him because I know my fighter. And from that point on, I was just like, I'm just, I'm sending my guy out there to set up, set him up for failure. And I'd rather just take it on the chin myself than, than have him take it on the chin. Um, you know, as far as like Mark Montoya goes, I, I'm very good friends with Mark and I've known Mark a long time. Uh, obviously I didn't agree with that scenario, but you know, Mark knows his fighter differently than I, I've never cornered Anthony Smith. Um, had that been me, of course, yeah, man, I probably would have stopped the fight up to that point. But again, it's, it's hard for me to make a judgment when I'm not in that scenario. And it is tough. And that, and that's why I really respect you being honest with this one, because as I say, like you ask refs, like, why didn't you call that fight? He's handing you teeth. And they're like, well, he was doing enough to stay in the fight. And then, you know, and it's kind of like I always find, once again, like going back to everyone makes mistakes is like I always look for accountability. And I, and I just find that a lot of people 
they try to always point the other direction and i get it too but like it's it's you know it's it's respected um i guess another fighter that came into play which did he used to train with you guys max yeah max right and i found that was kind of weird like i did look he wasn't taking a beating to the point where i'm like that that needs to be but when he came back to the corner and he kind of said nine times like i i kind of felt like i don't know once again i don't know the fighter you probably know him better um yeah but i i kind of feel like he you know when he when he asks you once you kind of go no you're in it you ask you twice you know you're in it but by the time you go five six seven eight and i think the the total count was nine times i kind of feel like you know what what are you doing there you know and and it, and it's just right. sad now because you know he became that kind of like talking point where because and and it's a bit different now because we hear all the audio which before it wasn't the case where right now it's very clear and you know he's lost his ufc contract or he got released and stuff like that um but in a point like that when a fighter like what kind of duty of care do you take there where you kind of got to take that role to sometimes say listen you're still in this but like at what point would Mm -hmm. you have or would you have done the same thing would you have called the fight or do you think it was right to try to you know as i said because he wasn't taking a beating like Anthony, but like I kind of felt like he was saying mentally he was out. Like so, at w- when when a fighter taps out on you there, like mentally, not physically, but mentally, um, and you've only got that minute to get him back in. At what point do you kind of go, well, maybe it's it's it, you know, it's time to to call it a night. Well, I mean, it's obviously a very intimate situation for me because I do know Max. I know Max very well. And, um, you know, Max was kind of taken away from us by uh, Drysdale. He told him that we couldn't train at our gym. And, uh, well, technically he said he he couldn't train at two gyms. Um, So that whole scenario to me was just kind of a weird situation where um, Max was a guy that I've, I've seen have these episodes in the gym. I've seen these episodes before, so I know him very well. And it really didn't. It really didn't surprise me, to be honest with you. Um, if if things weren't going his way, I think he gets. I think he gets pretty down on himself, and he gets upset. So to that regard, I think Drysdale did the right thing and tried to pull him out of it. Now, like you said, you say it once, you say it twice. Now it's turning into a little desperate to try to get the kid off the stool. Um, at that point, I think uh, I think you're going to have to stop the fight and do the right thing and, and take care of the kid. Now, the one thing you have to keep in mind, sometimes guys are saying to call the fight um, and they might have an injury that you're not aware of. You know, they might have a broken rib. They might have something that they're not disclosing. Um, You might even ask that, like, hey, are you hurt? Did something happen? But, uh, you know, by body language alone, and that was my point in the Vinny thing where I said, hey, I think I'm going to call this fight now. Had he just hunkered up and said, hell no, you ain't calling shit. That might have changed my mind, right? So think of the roles reverse when you're saying, hey, I need you to get off your ass and you need to get this fight. And this dude is just down and not making any changes with his body language. Body language is huge to me in that corner. Not only for me as a coach, but I have my corner watch that other body, that other corner, that other side, because there's a lot to be told. And that's happened to me quite a bit. You have your first and you have your second. I always have the guy that's the third in the corner watch the other side and tell me what you're picking up body language wise. It's very important. And what you saw in Max and, and Drysdale, 
there was really no coming back from that point with him. So I think Drysdale did the right thing up to the point of maybe a minute. Or, I mean, obviously the three or four times in and from that point on, you had to call the fight. There was nothing more you can do for the kid. And with the cornering, um, how, how are you finding the no crowds? Like, you know, because on one token, I guess being able to communicate with your fighters is a lot easier. Um, on the other token, though, is the chances of the other corner hearing your your advice as well is is there, or you you hearing the advice of the other. So, how how are you finding the the sensation of having no crowds? Do you like it? Do you not like it? You know, has it created some challenges? I you know it, it is what it is. So, I I tried to adapt to the situation best, right? Um, I was, I, I felt I was very, it was a very proud coaching moment for me that I took that into regard um, in the Jacksonville card. So ahead of time, I knew, okay, listen, we're not going to have anybody in the arena. So here's how we're going to spar. We're going to turn the music off. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then I started to, to think about um, with our guys in the corner, coaches wise, I was like, it's going to be very important. The words that we use and the verbiage that we use, not necessarily for the other fighter, but for the judges. The judges are gonna hear us. So if we're down, if we're talking a certain way, or we're saying you need this or you need that, um, not only can the other corner hear, but so will those judges, and those are the ones we need to make sure that we're pandering to in a different way. I think that's kind of what we did a lot during the Edson Barboza fight. And, and you know, people argue that Dan lost that fight. Fine, whatever, say what you want. But every time Dan did something good, we made sure that we made that the focal point of that fight. Edson hit him with a good shot. Dan would come back with two, three, four more. I'm like, hey, that score, that was beautiful. Way to counter that back. At no point did our energy ever get down or we ever got down on our fighter. Everything stayed positive and, and we never panicked. There was never a panic. Even when Dan got dropped, we never panicked. Hey, that's fine. I brushed off the top of your head. You're good. You know, lock it up. Da, 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 da. So I felt like that was going to be very important leading up to the way we handled ourselves in that corner because there was no crowd. Yeah, crazy. Crazy. Like, um, and, it, and it really is. It's like you, you can hear everything. I mean, it's even to the point sometimes you hear the, the commentators now. I mean, obviously you hear them over the broadcast, but then I kind of feel like when they get overly excited, you hear the commentators coming through the cage mics as well as the broadcast mics, right? Because, like, it's just... Yeah, very much so. And I, I work with Felder. Like I train with Paul. So I can cue into Paul a lot of times. Like when I've, I've cornered fights where I've had Paul saying something and, you know, you get you get in tune with the voice. And uh, I believe it was the Jessica I fight and Cynthia Calvillo where I'm on Jessica. I'm like, hey, we got it, you know. And then meanwhile, I can hear Paul kind of almost saying the same things that I'm saying or echoing it. And or come up with something that he sees, and then I'll take that and apply it to the fight too, because we're trying to get everything we can to get out, get it out of Jessica. But yeah, definitely, because Paul and I, Paul and I work a lot together, so I, I can connect with him right away, and I can hear his voice. Now they also say, like, obviously, mixed martial arts, you can have the highest of highs, lowest of lows, and and for someone like you who has multiple fights potentially in one night you know like some some coaches are lucky they have the one fight and that's it and and once again like this this is i guess the payoff of only having one fighter that you need to deal with compared to having a gym where you've got multiple fighters how do you handle like oh i mean obviously if the night's going well and you go three from three or four from four um you know 
I mean, it's pretty easy. I guess it's a good a good good day in the office. Um, but say right. like you have four fights, um, and I think even the I card, you you had a few where I, I think you you had two three losses on on how how hard is that to a I guess tell the fighter that's just lost. All right, I've, I've now got to go deal with someone else. Sorry, you're gonna you're gonna have to uh, lick your wounds yourself. And two, how mm-hmm. is it like mentally um, to to kind of let that go because you've got the next fight and then maybe if you go two fights down, like, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, ment- like Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 the best I can, I can tell you, it's like jumping out of an airplane about three different times in a row, you know, and uh, a lot of that needs to be led up to communication with your fighters prior, right? So I, I'll make sure that they understand, the fighters understand, hey, look, here's the way we're going to run the back of the house. We're going to... I try to use every single scenario that I can come up with and train for that. Okay, here's how we're going to warm up in the back. You might not be in the same dressing room as us. Can we make that happen? Can we do this? Can we talk? To, can we have, handle this? If it, if it can't happen, you have to understand, we might need to bring another coach. We might need to do this. We might need to do that. Try to bring up every possible scenario to, to try to hinder some of that or to make the fighter at ease, right? That's my job, is to make them feel like they're comfortable and taken care of. Now, right when that fight's over, win, lose, or draw, it's my duty to make sure that I'm back and I am focused and dialed in right now on them, right now on them, no matter what happens. Of course, when you win, you're gonna come in with a little bit better energy, but even when we lose, it's equally as more important for me to come in higher, right? Hey, we're good, let's rock and roll. We ready to rock? Like Just like nothing has ever happened. Um, and you know, you look at Eugene Beerman, uh, last night, I think he had four guys, you have four fighters and they went two and two, I believe. Two and two. So he has, he has to be kind of on that. Um, if, in Jacksonville for us, you know, we went three and oh, we had Francis, but then it was a, a card later and it was uh Dan Ige and Claudia Gadelia. So, and Claudia and Dan were literally back to back and it was Dan one run back and be ready there right away for Claudia and head back out and, and, and do your thing. So. Um, it is. It is a roller coaster ride. It's it's what some of the funnest times and most stressful times you're gonna have. But um, you have to refocus and dial back in for that fighter right away. And, and no matter no matter the outcome of the fight before, has there ever been a moment though, like say your first one being being a loss or even a win, I guess, um, uh, and a fighter basically being hospitalized and they've been taken away? And has that ever played like obviously knowing you've got a job at hand, but then also being worried about the, the, I guess, the well-being of that fighter. Has that ever happened? Yeah, I had a, a Gray Maynard when he fought Nick Lentz. It was his last fight in the UFC. Um, and then we were supposed to go, I was supposed to go back and corner Yana Kuniskaya. And, and, and then the way the fight went with Gray, he wasn't hospitalized. Um, and I, I didn't feel right leaving him alone. I just I was like, hey, I'm just going to stick back. And Yana was well taken care of. She had everybody she needed. It wasn't, it wasn't an issue at all. I wasn't the head coach in that regard. It was Ray Seffo. So sometimes, you know, um, depending on the situation, it makes more sense. But thankfully, uh, you know, I've had, um, uh, you know, guys get sent to the hospital. And, you know, it, not thankfully, but it's usually, uh, you know, it was a main event scenario where, one of my guys fight fought prior was Danny Gay, and then Kevin went to the hospital after, so uh, to get stitched up. So I was able to go with him or be be involved or be close to the situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, you try to plan for all of that stuff, and if something like that were to happen, 
Um, you just always tell like the second in the corner, like, Hey, look, if this were to happen, you're going to be the one to go. So you try to plan for as much as you can. And then the last thing I want to kind of, uh, touch on is the, the, the masks at the moment. Um, is that something that you guys are all, uh, doing as a precaution or is that something that UFC Bellator and all that enforce? And, and the only reason I ask you that is, uh, I was saying to Ty, it, 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 like while you guys are there and you do your 48 our quarantine and everything by all means i kind of say it makes sense right um even weigh-ins it makes sense but once you get to fight night i kind of feel like um a it looks pretty funny right Uh, all the corners with these with these masks on but like two i kind of feel like well you guys are all in that bubble you guys have all been tested they're not letting anyone from inside out outside in um obviously the refs uh bruce buffer um the fighters they're not wearing masks so why why are the corners still wearing masks because i i just find it kind of gets in the way a when you're trying to talk to them the amount of times you see you guys like readjusting those things and 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 so forth and i kind of go is it just a precaution is it something that we're just doing or or is it something that they're actually saying you have to do like what, what what's what's the deal with those things so um through the experiences of the jacksonville card they, I think it's going to be more commission based. It's going to be on the athletic commission on what they want. Um, they said that we had to wear them out. And then in the corner, uh, I took mine off. So I was cornering Dan Ige with the mask, like literally on my chin. I think, and I feel that it's all about perception. They want us to look like we're obliging. We're wearing our masks. We're, you know, they had us wearing like eyeglasses at one point. Um, and in the Bellator card with Ty, I had it like fall over my nose. And as I'm cornering Ty, this commissioner is yelling at me to get my 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 mask up, right? And I'm like, bro. At one point, I remember looking over and yelling at the guy, like, I'm 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 knee deep in this fight. You're worried about my nose popping out of this freaking mask. I'm like, mind your fucking business. I'm dealing. I'm dealing. Right? Because you know, and I'm dialed in. I'm dialed in, you know? But it's it, it's just crazy to me because as I said, like I would understand once again, if you had live audiences and you're like, okay, we now got to protect ourselves from the live audience. But like the only exactly. people in that venue are people that are in this All supposed to, a bubble, right? Like, so it just makes no sense. To, and then as well, like when you guys either, uh, well, it's only when guys win, this isn't a win or lose. Like when guys win and they all take their, their, their selfie photo, everyone's pulling these bloody masks down. And I'm like, so if if you were going to catch it from one another, you could catch it right there and then. So like I just, I always look at it and I'm like, why? And and uh, as I said, like I wasn't sure. I, I was like, either the UFC or, or Bellator as well are making you. I didn't think of the commission, but I was like, either you guys are being made to wear these things, and if so, why? Otherwise, I just I just don't get it. Like walk around so the hotel, it's so much overkill, right? Walk around the hotel, exactly. you're all good, but. Fight night, so, I kind of go so much, so much overkill. <laughs> you know, like man, I, I've been testing only, I've only been testing thirty-seven times now. You know, like why, why am I still doing this up to this point? And especially when it comes to the fight, like I, you're gonna, I'm trying to give concise information over to my fighter in a situation that could potentially be life or death. But you got to make sure that you have this mask over your face while you tell them all the important things, like. Dude, what the fuck are we doing? <laughs> right. Yeah, it gets a little annoying. It's kind of crazy. All right, I'll ask you one more, and then we'll get some fight picks from you, and, and, and we'll call it a day. Um, cool. If there's one fight, and, and this isn't like 
trying to find out who your favorite fighter is or whatever. But if there was one moment, it might be early on in your career or whatever, what was one fight that you were involved with where you kind of just had to pinch yourself? Like whether it was just like it was an incredible fight or whether it was your first ever, I guess, UFC card and you're like, I can't believe I'm here. Or, or like if there was yeah. one fight that you kind of like go, you know what, that one's always going to stick in my memory. And as I said, I don't care who the fighter is, but like obviously which fight it was. Um, yeah, what, what, what fight does it for you? Man, that's a great question. Uh, it's, and that's a hard one too it, because there's so many of them. I remember, and, and, and I'm just going to give an example because this is where I really started to make it uh, a point, was my dad – uh, we were, I was cornered a fight at the MGM grand and my dad had said to me, you know, my dad was a, a high level athlete and he said, Hey, do you ever just take a moment and take it all in? And, uh, I'm like, no, like, I, I'm just so like tunnel vision, like this is the job at hand and this is that. And he's like, Hey, you know, when you get a second and you get on that canvas or you get on that apron and you're up there and he's like, take a look around and, and, and take a second because those are the things you're actually going to remember the most. And it, it was probably like my fourth or fifth UFC I, I cornered. Um, and he said that, you, you know, and, and, and I remember like taking it to heart. And it was at the MGM where I was born and raised in Las Vegas. And, and sure as shit, man, I got on that, on, that, on that apron and I'm like looking around and I took it all in. And I made it, I made it a point to do that for every fight now. Like I get up there and take a deep breath and I kind of look around and see the crowd. And hopefully if you have a crowd – even when we don't, I still do it. But um, I would say the one that really stood out to me was uh, it was a, almost a Mike Tyson moment. And the closest I've ever been to it was when Francis fought JDS. And walking out with Francis, um, he was playing Drake, God's Plan. Uh, we're in Minneapolis, and it is absolutely packed in there. But the energy was different, Dennis. It was, it was ominous, but it was exciting. And, um, you know, I, I like to stay a little bit further in the back. I like to kind of, I guess, see everything as, as we go. Um, and man, I'll tell you what, that the, the emotional charge of that, of that room was, was so electric. I've never really been a part of something that dynamic. Um, watching Francis walk out was like, you know, seeing a great white shark just kind of cruising and then all of a sudden boom, it's going to go. I was like, oh shit, I'm front row to a fucking murder right now. This is going to be crazy. You know? So, uh, that was, that was, that was something else, man. And then, uh, uh any fight that has to do with Danny gay, I'll tell you what, man, his energy, uh, what he brings to the table, uh, it, it's, there's nothing like it. The kid, the kid in the room you see in the room, um, he's a very, he's very, he's very loving in a sense. Like he likes to take care of his training partners, but I'll tell you what, man, when it's time to fight, there's something about that kid that's that's different, man. He flips a switch and he's gonna take somebody's head off. Yeah, I mean, for for me, the I guess the the biggest buzz for me was uh, I think it was 189. Talking about MGM Grand, I was over in Vegas, um, and it was when Chad Mendes stepped up for the Conor McGregor fight. And the same thing, yep. I, I I just feel like I, I I don't even remember who was on that card apart from the Conor McGregor show, right? So. But the energy, right. the energy, not only of the fight, of the weigh-ins, of everything, it was that whole week. I remember walking through the MGM Grand and seeing those Irish 
climbing the pylons in the middle of the the casino and like security trying to rip them down and i was just like this is insane absolutely insane right so that was probably the one time where i kind of had to pinch myself and just go go, well i guess i can't believe i'm in vegas like even though you know i've I've been over to vegas multiple times but like that was the one time i'm like i can't even believe i'm here like it's i I, it was it's insane and and I remember kind of coming up in the sport and almost fantasizing or visualizing uh, that walk, you know, and, and, and walking out with, with the fighter and, and um, you know, running through your game plan through your head and how the scenario is going to play out. And I remember being in those stands and kind of seeing that. And if I didn't appreciate every time that I had the opportunity to walk out now, I mean, I've, I don't know how many I've had two, 300 of them, you know? Uh, and, I would be doing myself a disservice, not appreciating every time. And there's not a moment that goes by when you when you get in that in, in those curtains and you're about to go. And obviously, I'm not the one going out fighting, but um, the the feel of of going out to to battle with your with your fighter, uh, it, there's there's nothing like it. And uh, it's an I'm adrenaline junkie for it. I love every moment of it. I, I pinch myself every time, and uh, I tell myself, man, hey. One day this is all going to go away, so appreciate every moment of it. It's it's, it's about a thirty second walk and a, about a minute on the on the cage, but that minute thirty seconds is unbelievable. That's for sure. See, and I kind of had a moment kind of like that, and that was the last uh, Melbourne card, right? So it was Easy mm-hmm. versus Robert Whitaker for the title, biggest crowd yep. ever. Two days before that event, I get a call from the UFC asking if I was available to shoot because I was down there on a shooting project. Right, and I actually had box seats to that event, right? So I had a couple of friends with me, and I had a box seat, and I was like, "Damn, you know, I took it." So I ended up working working that event, and it was just a buzz. And like, I didn't even get to see any of the fights because I, I I pretty much spent the whole time backstage doing all the where the guys were warming up and stuff. The only yeah. time I actually walked out to the cage was behind Robert Whitaker, so I was in his corner doing the the over the shoulder doing the over shoulder shot right and and same thing i was like you know i yeah i kind of go i wish i was there as you know and got to see the fights especially because i had friends in the box seats and stuff but like that moment alone was just amazing right like it was just amazing but you were a part of it you were a part of the whole thing you know and that's that's the difference is like yeah you were you might have not watched the way the capacity of which you would have been but you know, you would give up any box seat in the world just just to know that you had your fingerprints on that on that card, and be and you're t- you're a part of the whole thing. And then when they use that footage as well for the thrill and agony and and, and things like that, and I'm like, there's my shot, there's my and it is you, you, you you've kind of got that pulse right, and I and I'm like, yes, I mean obviously yes. it was a, it was a hard one because I was in Robert's corner, so I was stuck to his family for the thrill and agony, right, and obviously having to deal with the wife scene. Rob get knocked out was a bit tough. It was really, uh, but um, yeah, I, it was an experience that I'll always remember and hopefully get to do again at some stage. I don't know. As I said, like I got the call, yeah. I was like, boom, I didn't even think about it. It was 7am in the morning. <laughs> oh, man. We went out the <laughs> night before I was, uh, I, I, you know, had a few drinks. So like to begin with, well, I was kind of like, is someone like playing a prank on me? Like I, I didn't actually realize that it was real, you know, until I had, um, yeah. yeah, someone from from the UFC call up and they're like, no, 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 send in your photo. We need to get your credentials and stuff. And I'm like, oh my god, here we go, right? Um, yeah, man. But on that, let's let's get to some fight picks. Um, 
since we're talking about Robert, uh, he's fighting in two weeks against Cannonier. Um, obviously, Izzy is wanting Cannonier, um, and Izzy thinks that he'll he'll get the job done. Um, but from your perspective, um, obviously seeing Robert bounce back, he beat Till and, and, and things like that. When it comes to Robert and Kennedy, how do you see that fight play out and, and, and who are you backing on that one? Tough fight. Um, <clears throat> personally, I think uh, what I saw Whitaker do against Till, I feel like he's kind of regained uh, back to his old form. Uh, I think that stylistically he's going to pose a little bit more of a striking problem to Cannoneer. Uh, Jared's done a great job at 185. Uh, I just feel like I feel like Whitaker's got more tools in the toolbox to beat a guy like Cannoneer, so I'd, I'd have to lean towards Whitaker in that fight. Nice. Now, I'm not entirely sure if he's still with you, but I know he used to be one of your guys, Uriah Hall, and speaking of yeah. the, the former GOAT, uh, Anderson Silva, um, Fun fight, totally a fun fight. Um, but how do you how do you see that one play out? Uh, you know, so Uriah moved out to Dallas. Um, he moved out about I think about a year ago, but still one of my guys. I still talk to Uriah uh, quite frequently. Love the guy to death, and I think Uriah is just on a new, different level right now. A new kind of tear. Um, I think the the gym change, the scene, all those things have benefited him, uh, and I, I think he gets it done. I, I think he gets it done in a, a, a pretty dramatic fashion as well. I think this is a fight that was made a while back where Uriah was going to fight him in Brazil, and um, I think Anderson ended up getting sick or something happened to him, and you're, unfortunately Uriah wasn't able to, to compete against him. So uh, I feel like Uriah is going to go out there and, and get the job done, and I think he's going to do it in some uh, dynamic fashion, to be honest with you. Nice, nice. Now, uh, Alex, our, our guy, our champion, obviously um, he's been saying that he, he wants a number one contender fight. Um, he doesn't want to do the trilogy with Max. Um, they've now made the Ortega-Korean um, zombie fight. I kind of feel like that is the number one contender fight. Um, how do you see that one? Uh, I think Korean zombie gets it done. I just... You know, I, I feel like, um, you know, no, neither of them are, are what you would say very active fighters. Uh, but I, I just feel like Korean Zombies, both stance switches, the way he, the way he strikes, the way he moves. Um, I, I feel like he gets that fight done, to be quite honest with you. And then we go to Bellator. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we got Arlene, the Aussie, traveling across to uh, fight Chris Cyborg, Uh which we now know is beatable because I know for, for the better part of a decade yeah. she was unbeatable. Um, but how do, you, how do you see, I mean, they're both strikers, they're both hard hitters. How do you, how do you see that one play out? I got I to gotta go with the Aussie. Why, why would I, I'm not going to ruin a fan base here. You're out of your mind. <laughs> you're, you're crazy. I'm going Arlene, right? Automatic. I don't even, I don't even have to give a reason. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Oh <laughs> uh, well, okay. Well, since yeah. since we're going down that route, we got um, yeah. Megan Anderson fighting uh, Amanda Nunes. That's a big fight. Yeah, well, she, yeah, that's a great fight, man. That's a that's a great fight. When is that fight going to happen? I know Amanda just had the baby. I'm not entirely sure, but I know it's 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 coming up. It's it's definitely coming mm. up. So, um, and and it, it's it's a tough one because I kind of feel like. Megan has got the length 
Um, and Megan, yeah. once again, I don't think she's peaked yet. I think she's still got a lot of growing to do. Whether she's mm-hmm. gr- uh, grown enough um, to handle this kind of fight right now, that's kind of where I stand with it. I, but I do feel like that every fight that she's had, she is still actually getting better. I agree. I I got to go, you know, and, and I think kind of the secret weapon to the Megan thing is uh, my man, James Krause. You know, he's putting together some uh, a, a really good camp out there at Glory MMA. He's a, not only is a very gifted fighter himself, but he's one of the better coaches I've seen in the game. Um, you know, so I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't know if this is going to be Megan's time to, to take the belt away from Nunez. But I also feel like you're probably going to see that fight happen later on down the line if she does happen to lose. Um, but I think this is going to be a very competitive fight because Megan can do a lot with that range. And I, I guarantee you James is going to come up with a good game plan for that fight. Okay. And then we've got two more. So we've got Usman, obviously fighting Gilbert Burns. Yeah. How do you see that? Oh, man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because... You know, uh, Gilbert Gilbert was one of the OGs at the gym, man. He trained with us a long time ago with Vitor Belford, uh, back when Gilbert was just really more of a jiu-jitsu guy. Uh, and then uh, old Usman, man, he's been coming in for, for a long time. I know him really well. I think it's going to be a very interesting fight because those guys know, I mean, they train and they know each other and they know uh, what their strength and what their weaknesses are. But I'll tell you what, man, um, Usman's something else. Uh, I haven't seen a guy that good at what he does in a long time. Uh, I, I feel like he's kind of hitting his, his prime. Uh, I got to go with Usman on that one. See, and I'll disagree only because I just feel like Burns is hungry right now. Like I, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, um, what's his name? The, the, the Russian that everyone's hyping up at the moment, right? It's just like you get, Cosmot. These, right. You get these yeah. guys and, and they even believe it. So it's not even like, you know, that we're hyping them up, but, they're, they're so in tune and I just feel like at the moment Gilbert Burns is 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 that he's hungry he's just hungry yeah. and I, and I just feel that's what gets it done I agree Usman is 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 insane at what he does I just I don't know Gilbert just when I see him I just see a different energy at the moment like I just really see a, a, a totally different beast and, and I've heard that out of guys out of their camp too so i've heard i've heard the same and i i think you're on to something there um you know and of course i, th- I think usman's been going out to train with trevor more out in denver uh he was out in vegas last week with us so um you know i think it's going to be predicated on who he surrounds himself with and what kind of camp he's going to have but gilbert's back in uh back in the lab with henry and those guys and getting after it i i've thought i've talked to henry about it and i know he decided he wasn't going to corner either of them but, uh, you know, they're, they're, he's got a group up there that he's working hard with. So I see the guy busting his ass and you might be onto something there. And then the last one, which I know which way you're going to go, but I want to know how you think he gets it done without giving away game plans, um, is Francis Stipe. I'm assuming you've got <laughs> Fran- I, I, I'm assuming you got Francis to win that fight. Um, and oh, yeah. I, actually, let's change it. Um, because I don't want you to have to reveal, like, I guess, how you think he gets it done. Are you concerned at all about the wrestling? Obviously, we know Francis has got the power, um, but we also know that the last time they they faced each other, you know, Stipe ground, ground, mm-hmm. grinded that one out. Um, how, mu- how much time has, has Francis been sp- 
spending, I guess, on the wrestling? And is that a concern to you still, or you think uh, this is going to be a different Francis? Well, everything is going to be a concern, and I think it's important that you check all your boxes, especially when it comes to a title fight, you know, any fight in particular, but the magnitude of what one that we have in this case. But, um, you know, I could say, and I can scream till I'm blue in the face, it's up to Francis to make sure he's getting the job done and, and he's, he's working on the things that we need to shore up. Um, I look at it like this. We haven't been able to show much of anything that we've been working on because the guy's been getting guys, he's been finishing fights so fast. Uh, but I, I'll tell you this, he's putting in the work and he's doing all the right things that he's supposed to do. And fortunately for us, we haven't had to show much um, uh, because of that. And I kind of look at like what I've seen with Israel. Uh, I guarantee you Israel Adesanya and, on his camps, he's working on those things and showing up those holes, those holes that we all think that he might have because we're predicated to not seeing him uh, in those regards. But when we see him get on the ground, man, I watched the guy almost slap a triangle on, on Kelvin Gastelum. We watched him, you know, obviously it was, a, it was in a scramble. He mounted Paulo Costa and finished the fight. But here's a guy who in our heads we think, oh, well, he can't wrestle and he can't do this and he can't do that. But I, I'm, I guarantee you, Francis has been in every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Friday, and he's working his ass off and showing up those things because that's what I feel that he, you know, and him and I sat down and talked about that. What are the things you want to get better? Where are the things you feel that you, you're most vulnerable? And once you are able to identify those things, um, you have one or two choices. You can either double down on your strengths or you can go and double down on your weaknesses. And he's chosen to double down on those weaknesses and to get better. So um, more efficient striking, um, better obviously on in the ground and things of that sort, I think is uh, going to be the key for Francis winning this fight. Uh, and and we're, we got to do all the right things in, in the meantime. Nice, nice. Well, if I was known as the strongest uh, hitter, I don't think I'd be looking at my strengths either. I, I would be doing the same, trying to like narrow my weaknesses, right? Um, so it's it's good absolutely to, it's good to hear that he's gone down that route. Um, but yeah, man, like as I said, like it, it it's been an absolute pleasure, and I don't want to keep you for too much longer. So I guess I always give uh, everyone an opportunity at the end um, to basically, um, you know, if someone wants to reach out to you, whether you know it's on the pro pro circuit. I, I know you guys also deal with amateurs as well. Um, but if someone uh, wants to reach out to you, whether it's some advice or they want to come along to, to, to the uh, Extreme Couture Gym, um, what's the kind of best way that people can, you know, get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much more active on my Instagram than anything. So it's Eric, E-R-I-C underscore X-C-M-M-A. Uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me or follow our progress and see what's going on. Uh, I've been trying to put out a little bit more content. Uh, I've been doing a lot of work with ESPN. So it's inspired me to get like some of those one minute breakdowns and get some stuff out there. So, you know, hop on there and follow us and uh, comment, you know, leave us some shit, talk some trash or, you know, say something positive, whatever. We're all, we're all good guys and we love that stuff. So. And there we have it. So hopefully um, I, I will say, well, first I'll say thank you. Thank you for your time. Um, I know, as I say, you're one of the busier coaches uh, around and, um, you know, you, you've definitely got some Aussie fans, especially after you picked Arlene. Um, but on, on that note, I, I hope that eventually we can reopen the borders and either you can bring some fighters down to us or hopefully I'll, I'll make that trip back to Vegas um but yeah and until that happens we're gonna call it a day and that is it I'm a one. I'm a one.